Hey, Ben. How you doing, buddy? Hey, welcome to the Thursday episode of Dog and Pony Show. It's my DJ voice. Are we not doing the theme music anymore? I believe we are. Like your theme music? Or is that for the outro? I don't know. <laughs> Chocolate rain. Let's like switch to speaking about serious stuff. So yeah. you don't have to make yeah. that voice anymore. Perfect. Fine. Yeah. You were saying, we started a conversation just before we hit record here, where it sounded like you get a little bee in your bonnet there. So I think that's where we should kick this episode off. Yeah. All the sayings, bee in the bonnet, fall into the house with the door and all. Yeah. Yeah. This is the author side of you. Yeah. So what we were talking about before we poured was, I was saying how, for me, I have shifted over my, we'll say my professional career from doing all the work myself as a programmer and designer. And basically looking at other people, looking at teams being like, how are they not going faster? I think there's a lot of unsaid planning that happens when you're doing all the work yourself. Like I can more or less judge how long something will take. I can reprioritize in my head. And I think in general, and especially earlier on in my career, people would look at products and be like, oh, that's dope. That's great. It's interesting going from a maker to a, I hate saying manager, but I have intentionally over the last call it seven years, tried to extract myself from doing the work. In part because I figured that is the transition that most of us go through to be more effective and to do bigger and greater things. And there's much better, great talent now. But I find it very difficult, I know a lot of people, to get things shipped on a, we'll call it predictable cadence. I've read Shape Up. We've tried implementing Shape Up. I did a course with Heaton when he was doing his product development course where we went through like around how to, how to properly do time estimates and like scoping stuff. And you know, in general, as an engineer, I've tried to extract myself from the mic. Like I'm not interested in micromanaging programmers, but we all need to be aligned and we need to be on the, and, and as the business owner or as the, we'll call it like the leader, I need to have a general idea of what's being worked on. How long is this going to take? What, roadblocks or decisions are you making along the way? And especially as a senior engineer, I also want to be involved in the some of the planning process. I think there have been several moments in the last, call it like six months, where we've looked around and like, okay, this isn't going fast enough. Everyone doesn't really, I don't understand what, like what is being worked on. And I'm trying to find that balance and I keep trying to basically bring everyone back and be like, okay, guys, this is, we need to all be on the same page that we don't have to think. So I don't have to be like wondering what are people working on? I have not yet found an effective way to do that. And it might just be that I have to keep starting over and basically trying to, because it's tough because right now, like we don't have like two week sprints. We basically have things for our existing customers where there's a general list of things that we know need to be built, but there's also these things that pop up on a daily basis. And none of this is unique. And I know the way that some approach this, which is, you know, you have like, here's your, what you're going to be working on for the next week. And then you assume that 20 or 30% of the time will be addressing like bugs that are popping up in production, or they'll say there shouldn't be any bugs in production, but we know that's not true. I'm trying to find a balance with a really small team of three people. Is what I'm saying makes sense? Because I feel like, yeah, is what I'm saying makes sense? And how do you approach it? How have you approached it? But I think actually the most interesting thing here is I most often hear this. So when I coach other SaaS founders, 
right? And I hear them saying similar things, but they're normally not the kind of the, and again, whole different thing we should record an episode on. I think this whole thing about what constitutes a technical founder versus non-technical founder these days is like, there's bullshit there, right? I think most roles within a technology company these days is technical. Some are just programming and some aren't, right? So uh, that aside, but those founders that struggle with this are generally the founders that aren't, like don't program themselves, right? So they need to, they need almost that kind of translation of, here's the code we're committing to the code base and here's what this actually means, right? And here's what, like, when we say we're making progress, here's what that means relative to these other metrics that the kind of the founder or the leader is tracking that they do understand that isn't their wheelhouse, right? I.e., we want, like, dates, right? Like, i.e., we want to ship this feature, whole marketing release on this date, that's something I can track. Or, like, we ship this, you know, kind of feature and it reduces support by 10%, that's a metric that I can track, right? So... I often hear it from them. I'm surprised that with your knowledge and experience, the fact that you have that technical the expertise and the specialist skill to have that oversight, that is a, a challenge for you to kind of oversee. Like, I guess my question there is like, isn't this just a case of you literally being able to fire up GitHub and seeing what code is being committed to the code base and having a 90% oversight of what is being worked on? So the issue is less what is being worked on and it's more the what's left, right? So one of the like the, i'd say there's very few rules that i live by or like tenants that i live by that have actually you say it out loud and it's actually to say it, one of which is we don't change deadlines we change scope so one of like the most important things that i have learned and that i reinforce on any project is we pick a date or we decide on the date and if we get to a point where it looks like we're not going to hit we don't change the date we change the scope and the challenge that I found is when you're first talking about a feature, you don't know how long it's actually going to take. And if you read Shape Up, the whole thing is like, it's not until you get in and start doing the work that you really understand all, which as an engineer, absolutely resonates. I think part of the challenge, maybe an important thing to clarify here is we are still at the point where I am talking to our pilot customers. I'm also, we just launched our marketing site, Hurrah for Us, that Things are, there are things that I want to change and test on a really like short basis. And there's very few people who can own those things. And so it's mostly me owning them, but I need, I don't have enough time to focus to finish anything. And again, I'm familiar with maker manager time. All right. Paul Graham. (laughs) So the part of the challenge is like, I can't look far enough right now to be able to say, here's what our product roadmap really looks like. I am still at that point where it's like, we have hypotheses around what's going on. My, my number one priority right now is finding more qualified customers and testing these sort of, we'll call it different, like value proposition levers. So I guess like, that's probably my question there. Is it that useful or even necessary to really know like that far in advance, like what is on the roadmap? No, I don't think it is, but I still need to know, like, I'm now preparing our app for, we're submitting it to my app store. So it's woo-hoo. like, woo, <laughs> woo themes. Yeah. What? what everyone else doesn't know is Ben and I had a, had a little kind of bet on the side about who could submit their, their app to the app store first. And I made the bet knowing that Ben was much closer. Like, but I, I, like I can just admit that. Like, I Have you submitted? No, we're two weeks off. 
So we were still on target. Like even back then I had a date that I'd agreed like with my lead engineer and we're still like, that's still there. I have no doubt that we can hit that date, but hence why I knew you were further along. So, but still like well done for being very, very close to submitting the app now. Yeah, I think we'll submit. It's just, we've grappled back and forth of, because we've had a private app. And so the question was, do we clone the private app and have a, or use the existing private app and just convert to public, right? And these are the examples of the million questions that you ask that even though it's like a relatively, there's trade-offs. Anyways, without getting into deep, going down that rabbit hole. I'm wondering, man, just something that's, like, I think the context here as founder and as a team leader, right? I, I generally, I'm able to wear all of those kind of functional hats within a business. And, and, and to the extent that I can understand what happens in every kind of you know, part of the business, right? Everything from engineering, product, sales, marketing, success, operations, finances, right? If you want to add that. And what has been helpful for So I also mostly only play in that upper end and then decide where I need to do a deeper dive, right? And I'm wondering, like, as when I think back to conversion, especially with teams, right? What was helpful is... Having leaders in place, firstly, my right? people that I can trust on so that I don't necessarily have to speak to five different people to get an answer, right? Or to get the full answer, I can speak to a single person. I think that's helpful. But generally, like I get it, right? You're a team of three. You're not going to impose that single manager at the stage, like the unit economics and that doesn't make sense. But what was helpful is what we used to do is we would essentially rally around a few kind of you know, key goals, right? and then. Based on that, decide, hey, these are the things everyone needs to do to meet those things. And then I would probably check in on, like, we did weekly meetings with Converger, for example, where we would at least sync up about those things. But I think in the early days, it's okay to probably do that bi-weekly or even monthly, right? To, and what I'm acknowledging there is it probably means that the end result is X percentage off, right? Because you're not checking in and you're not rejigging kind of direction in real time effectively. but the benefit to doing that is you don't have that management overhead kind of in the interim, basically, to say, let's stay narrowly on course either, right? Because you're generally moving in this right direction at generally kind of the right pace. And I, maybe that's just, I am just different there. Like, I totally despise this idea of deadlines, right? It's, it's like, I have not even find, like, I prefer using milestones at least as a date when, when I want to peg dates at new two things, like deadline. Like, it's just also like, you're not dead when you get there, which is just weird, right? But yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I think that there is a, and I don't have a, the perfect answer here, right? Because I tend to allow my team a lot of space as well. And then sometimes they don't move as fast or in the kind of way that I, or if as effective as I want them to move, right? This happened in the past. And I'm trying to also shift from heels to toes there and communicating those things and making sure that we are making progress. But I think there, and in talking this through now, I think the approach there is, to get everyone's buy-in on what we're hoping to achieve as a team, right? Make sure every individual knows what they need to contribute, right? And then there is that peer-to-peer -peer accountability, which is like, if I don't do this, then I'm letting my mate next to me down, right? Because they're going to do their work. And if I don't do my work, we're not going to meet or reach these goals that we set ourselves, right? So peer-to-peer -peer accountability, instead of like everyone having to report into a manager or a leader, right? So peer-to-peer, -peer, I think that's the, the first part thereof. And then giving that person ownership to say, listen, you're, if you're clear about what you need to do here, the responsibility is now back on you to say, hey, Eddie, I have a stumbling block. Hey, Eddie, I know, don't have this thing that I need, right? And then change that. Because again, that, that takes 
like that shifts part of that responsibility of management bottom up versus top down. I like that idea. When and there was a pivot point in Convergio's journey where we didn't do that. It was more like top down, me doing things, and then me having to get all the information, collate everything up here, figure out like where do we need to change things. You kind of you filter it back down. And when we started changing that, at least for some individuals in the team, it was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer. It wasn't, for example, like it was only post acquisition where my role changed, where I had a dedicated product manager and how like even having someone there where I could say, you know what, this is actually not my work. Like you, like you take ownership here, you're accountable. Tell me when you need me. And then like, if you need two hours of my time, then you get two hours of my time. But beyond that, until you tell me, Adi, it's now time for us to chat again. I'm just here. You know what the kind of the, the goals are. You know what my expectations are, what your role is. Well, what were your first few hires for Conversio when you went from, I, I know you have business partners, but like, could you just walk us through? Because I think my guess is that a lot of this stuff is, it's more challenging to do the institute, this stuff from the very beginning before you have culture. The culture is what you make. We are establishing the culture of the company. And when you have three people, and in our case, the engineer, I think this is his really first time at a startup. And so I've sort of, my responsibility is part to establish what kind of culture do we want? Do I want? And then what are the rituals that we incorporate now so that it's a enjoyable experience? And as we add more people that will evolve, the processes are being set for the very first time. So initially with Convergio, I hired two engineers and a designer that doubled up as a front-end engineer. And shortly thereafter, we added a data scientist slash full-stack engineer to the team as well. We worked for that for almost a year until I added two people in support and success alongside another engineer. So it was very product engineering focused initially. And with Cogsy, that's similar. So right now, as I speak today, full-time at least, we are two, like myself, two engineers and a designer. And I'm hoping, like the one change, by the way, there that I'm hoping to make just before recording this, had an incredible call with an individual that we will be extending an offer to next week that I'm hoping joins as our head of growth, but a very kind of generalist role there. So again, like that's me deciding I don't want to lead these things, right? So those things have shifted, right? So like that's the context about those early stage teams, both the similarities and where it's slightly different conversion to Cogsy. The way I think about culture, Ben, is I think the, the culture and that the first processes, the first playbooks, first routines, habits, disciplines, whatever you want to call them, I think it just starts with you as the leader. Like you are like, this is your company first and foremost, right? So what I did with Convergio concretely is I wrote down a short little like, you know, eight points, bullet point list, a culture code. And I had my initial team members, which was kind of your know, two engineers and designer. They all joined and they agreed to that kind of your know, culture code. And that was never meant to be set in stone. That was always just meant as sentiment more, right? This is the kind of team that we want to build. And what happens over time is I think if you put as founder and as leader, if you put that first draft, that MVP out there, right, then you start the iteration process. And, and crucially, I think if you hired people that fit or where there is those shared values and interests about what we're working on and how we're working in that, then it can actually become a collaboration in terms of, hey, guys, like we need to, for example, find a way, like you don't even have to be narrow. Like I would say... You say, we need a way to sync on a weekly basis. Like, shall we do a meeting? Is there another way for us to sync? Okay, we're going to do a quick meeting. How long should a meeting be? What should we cover in that meeting? And those things can be 
I think collaborative, right? But you, I think with your experience, because crucially, like there's two things for me, experience and your preference. And I, like, I don't think it tries to make any sense for any founder to adopt any kind of best practice for any part of their business if it doesn't resonate with you. Like if it doesn't energize you as a leader, right? Then it's not going to work in the long term, right? So I think that's why like you should have the loudest voice initially. And then you slowly start pairing that back as the team takes greater kind of ownership and as they develop the shared vocabulary about what this means for our culture, for the things that we agree on, for the way we work. What you said made sense. I'm curious, going back to the early days of Conversio, what did you define as the first version of the product? Or did you have a roadmap from day one? Initially, it was receiptful, right? And so was it card abandonment email? Like, what could you look thinking back? How did you define? Yeah, first version was literally, how can you send an email receipt or order confirmation email with some kind of upsell in it? And I believe the first upsell was only a might have been a static discount as well. I think it was auto-generated discount, right? But that was the only upsell that we called an upsell, but that was the only one you can add back then. And that's what the first version did. It didn't have any kind of drag and drop email editor, it was standard email. The only thing you could change beyond like colors and copy was did you want your upsell top or bottom? So very, very simple product. And I think much of, for Convergio, much of that Subsequent roadmap just came from putting that out in the wild and then ideating internally and speaking to customers, right? Um, doing those things. So with Convergio or Receiptful initially, there wasn't that, I think, even medium-term vision for the product. Like we were trying to solve a single thing. With Cogsy, I had different challenge, which is first imagine this whole massive thing in my head. And then I actually had initially the biggest challenges were, how do I pair this down? Because I can tell a very nice story to anyone about what kind of this seven to 10 year journey looks like. But I couldn't tell the story about what does you know, V1 do for a merchant, right? So I had to pare that down to just this single thing. So now I can, for the first version, I can see, I can probably see like a few things that if we released V1 tomorrow, we could stay busy with just things that I have in my head or we've discussed as a team for about three months say, right? And then I also have this bigger vision that needs to def be defined as features, not just ideas, right? And you pull it back down. So we could totally go there as well. But those things don't really matter right now. Like they are not, like they're in my mind space and I'm thus constantly aware of where there are opportunities that align with those things, where we can try and match what we do in the short term with that longer term vision. But it's not something that I'm worried about. It's not something that I check back in consistently. Like right now, it is very short-term focused. Like all the V1 where like, I think much to the way you've built the pony, right? Which is we have a very, very significant kind of pilot customer at this stage. And I, we're pretty much building that first version. Like they tell us this is what we want. And we build that plus that little bit extra to make it slightly more generic for a user that is not that sophisticated because this is a very, very big ass sophisticated brand, right? And like we want to go, like that's say mid-market and we want to be able to capture a little bit more of the market and we need to account for that in the product. But that is how I'm using that feedback. And that, like in terms of prioritization then on a product side, at least, that's the only thing that we're doing. I'm not thinking that far beyond kind of that first version and maybe that one or two things we'll do immediately post that first version. And I'm curious, how have you guys defined timeframes and scope of what people are delivering, right? Because you said that you have 
you're like a couple weeks out from being able to submit to the app store. What information do you have? And it does it go back to what you were just talking about around like, if it changes, people will get in touch with you. But like, it seems, yeah, what, how, what beyond confidence and maybe even we'll call it accountability in your culture, do you have around understanding what's the agreement between you and the people who are responsible for things? Yeah. So I guess like the first thing here, yes, like the trust there, right? So I have immense trust in my lead engineer, right? So that's just that cue, right? And I think similar to what you said earlier, which I totally agree with, and I've never heard it in exactly that same way, but realize that that's the same way that I think about it is never shift the date, at least material. Like if it's a day or two, that's totally fine, but never like change a date materially, like change the scope. And I think like that's the point is we internally, we have an agreement that our date is viable for everyone. Everyone can meet that. So we're just working towards that. And unless like something pops up from now, you know, it's somewhere in the next two weeks and we need to revisit that, then that's the plan. So no, like I have no other like metrics. Like I do have access to the GitHub repo, for example, I can check up on people, but like, that's also just not the way, that's not the way that my brain works. Like I don't like checking up on people. Like if I need information, then yes, I'll ask them. But I don't necessarily need to know on the product side. And again, like maybe it is just that trust. Maybe it's the fact that I, in on this thing, I trust that lead engineer so much, right? That I don't have to worry about it. Similarly, like with regards to this kind of- And lead- you've worked with that engineer before, prior to this? I have, yes. Right? Yeah. So there is some familiarity there at least, right? In, on a different project. And I think same way though, that I think about hiring this head of growth, right? As an incredible individual, they've got pedigree working for other companies. We've spent an hour and a half on, on a call and a few emails back and forth, right? But again, like there is that assumed trust at least. Obviously that trust needs to be proven and like we need to work together and that, but at least in that regard, like the hope there is that they also come in and they lead things. And again, like I assume trust until I realize that, hey, this is not going to work. And reality there is if this individual comes in and like things work out and we can't figure out how I can trust them to flip that, how I manage kind of role, i.e. like they need to, to manage me more than I need to manage them kind of thing, then this that probably is not the best fit in the long term, right? It's not reason to get rid of such a person, but it probably is not a great fit, at least in the long term. So I think that trust is important. I think to that point, I trust myself, right? And this sounds totally weird, but when I commit to doing something for people, I trust myself to do that, or at least constantly communicate and say, hey, Ben, like I'm stuck here. I need help. Or, hey, this came up. I made another plan, but unfortunately this changes X, Y, Z, right? That's what high-functioning people manage to do. And again, I can imagine many people listening to me rant about this or go on about this is, yes, the higher performing kind of people that are able to do this generally also cost higher, generally, right? or cost more, right? So in early stages, that's hard. It's hard to hire senior people and do that on a frugal budget. But that's at least how I think about that. Having those senior leaders in place in my team so that I don't have to be the only leader, effectively. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, especially as someone who was the maker, when I first looked at hiring, and maybe you can even say it now, like I often looked for younger talent who I thought part of the appeal was I mentor them. and basically looking for the diamond in the rough. Oftentimes, yeah, we didn't have budget. Like the same thing happened at Cardhook. What's interesting is what you just described is the same way, if I were to summarize how, how a, a good friend of mine from college, Brian, 
he founded today raised a bunch of vc money they are now a huge goliath in the theater ticket business online tickets he was a broadway actor but he also worked at a, at a private equity firm and his first thing was he hired senior level people in all the different functions and then it was up to them to hire below them which is like the opposite of how i approached it and i think having gone through this process a few times of transitioning from the maker to more of a manager like it actually it makes like what you just described it makes a lot of sense to insight of why that would be a better, healthier way. On the flip side is that's expensive. And how could you go about hiring someone who's a young talent who like basically what you're selling them is a growth opportunity as well as money? Yeah, I think it's just about balance. I think like hiring those diamonds in the rough, right? That's perfect. And I think that should always be part of the strategy. And like, and we've done this, I've mentioned before here, right, is we hired a very kind of you know, junior designer in the sense that this is literally her first gig, right? And with that came that acknowledgement that we are like, we are investing in her development, her personal development, right? And we are coaching her up. And that's perfectly fine. What I've acknowledged there, though, is if you only did that, right, and you're the, like, for example, say, you had five junior-ish people and you had to mentor and coach all of them, right? You're still doing a little bit of making, right? You are, I also have flies everywhere. It's fly season. I was going to say, I feel like I'm back at like the, was it the DNC uh, (laughs) debate? (laughs) Exactly. So five people in your team, all junior, right? You still have your maker time, you have your manager time, and then you have your coaching or kind of mentoring time. And all of that, like that doesn't make sense. So the way I now think about that is, how do I at least kind of balance the composition of the team to have people at all levels so that all of that coaching and mentoring, all of the management doesn't come from me so that we can still hire someone that needs specific kind of time, that kind of mentoring or coaching time, but also hire senior people, right? And the other thing here, and again, like many of these things, they are a function of money, like what we've done for our designer, acknowledging that I should not be touching Photoshop beyond resizing photos anymore, right? Even though I designed the first theme that you know eventually became with themes. Like I should not be designing. So for our designer, I just hired her a design coach, right? Someone that is further along than she is on her journey, right? Someone that has great pedigree in the kind of ecosystem. And someone that was also, by the way, looking to, I think, looking to give back, right? And we just pay her for an hour a week to spend time with our designer where they can talk through like very specific things, right? So I can still do that. The, the fluffy coaching stuff, i.e. the stuff closer to life or, hey, this is how you communicate. This is how you structure a brief, right? All of those things I can still do because they're not designer specific or engineer specific or marketing specific. But I 100% believe in this idea that just like, you, you could hire junior then, but you need to find other ways to coach them and like you can't be the only coach. There. So either you have another senior team member that can share that load or you need to augment that externally and say, can I get this person help to feel their work and their personal development? Because those two things go hand in hand. I think that's how you get the best output from people. Mic drop? Mic drop. <laughs> and I know we focused on a lot of my stuff on this, although at least you were able to speak to like your experience. But is there an update on, not cut this conversation short, but is there an update you want to share where you are on the Cogsy journey? We're two weeks away from that kind of your first version. That date, by the way, is also our date for submission to the Shopify App Store. And there's still a few things that need to happen there. I think what is exciting, firstly, I think you've not announced it, but I will just announce it on your behalf. I think 
both of us have new marketing websites live. Both Cogsy and, and, and The Pony that has new marketing websites. You also beat me to that by about 24 hours. So you're on a tear there, which is, this is not a competition, man. Stop competing. Um, <laughs> so like, I think that's the, the first update. But then, as I said, I've just been working very closely with our biggest customer. And I think the, the thing that excites me is as the things on our side are taking shape, getting that literally that giddy kind of reaction from this customer. But yes, yes, hearing that, that is showing a lot of promise. And yes, there are a few assumptions there still, right? We can't build something for a single customer. Like we, we still need to prove that the product and the messaging and all those things resonate. But I think from, from a product perspective, like we've, I think from the first you know, kind of you know, show that we recorded a couple of weeks ago, we've made immense progress. And, and part of the, the, the progress is as follows as well. The things that I think has been very, very helpful is the fact that we've really narrowed down the value prop for Cogsy to very sing, like a single thing, right? Which is we will help you make smarter purchasing decisions. And what that actually means is we do a lot of things, magic, 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 magic. And then we just say, here's the kind of the, the best purchase order that you should send right now to any one of your suppliers or vendors, right? So that's the thing that we want you to do. That's a single action that we want you to take. Everything else is fluff. So that focus really helped on the product side. We got a very, very experienced data scientist in the realm of kind of retail and e-commerce involved on a part-time basis to help us out with the forecasting kind of bits, which meant that in the background, we've already managed to improve our forecasting, right? So the first version there should, I wouldn't say it's airtight or perfect, but it will be in a much better state than it was six weeks ago, for example. And then the last thing is we ultimately hired a very experienced park designer to come in, fresh set of eyes, look at the UI, take everything that we thought we had, tear it apart and put it back together, which means that what we have now is, I think, a framework and a design system to now build like V1.1, 1.2.3 for the next six or nine months. And crucially, again, like talking about that coaching, what has been very helpful there is for Sisanda, our designer, our in-house designer at least, is to follow along with that process, see how someone more experienced does that, but contextually so. I've, by the way, learned so many things about Figma and structuring things in Figma components and stuff. Like, it's fascinating. So having that foundation and having someone there, like a more junior person, seeing those things and then being able to learn and then take it forward, I think is very helpful. So that is where we're at. We're getting close to the point of reckoning where the product will be out in the wild. I'm still, like, maybe something we can chat about on you know the next time we record is, like, I am still torn on when to add self-service sign-up to this. I think we will still have a bit of, not a bit of, we'll just still have a gatekeeper there. So I, you have to have a call with me before you can get into the product. Because I still want to be high touch. The one thing I've learned is that every business's kind of supply or operational setup looks slightly different, right? It's not just, it's not just email marketing, which is you plug it in and it kind of functions in its own way, right? Like, your e-commerce platform, email marketing, boom, Bob's your uncle. That's much easier. We're definitely seeing that there are many edge cases, both in workflows as well as other tools in that stack. So we need to be like, I want to be high touch and almost consultative there for the next couple of months. That's where I'm leaning, but we'll see. I guess it all depends on where we land with that first version and how well that resonates. Interesting. Got it. I'm excited for you, man, for all of you. Now I wish I had an e-commerce business to better purchasing decisions. <laughs> well, that's the hope here, right? Coffee's been a slow burn in that regard. We're, we're various things 
Because I, I started working in October, right? And it's been, I think, for anyone listening that thinks these things are a linear path sometimes, it's not, right? There are many curveballs along the way. We're not building a perfect pro- you know, first version here. Like this is the reason I've worked on this from October to say April when it, like I can properly put it into customers' hands. Oh, that's seven months. They say six months, right? Late October, you know, early April. And but the reason for that is not because I'm seeking perfection. Like I am very much eighty percent done here is perfect. Like we can do that. Like there's many other other factors that has complicated this. Like this is not a a linear easy path anymore. Like I think software is just hard, as you know, right? You've had customers for ages, and like the changes you've had to make and considered in the last couple of months, getting to this version that you're now submitting to the App Store. That path has not been very linear. No, and I think I'm curious. I'll say what I think, but first I'm curious to ask you the question, which is, what have you learned since working on this since since October? Right? Like, are there thing are there directions you went where you're like, oh, in hindsight, I shouldn't have done that, or a more linear path that you would have taken in hindsight, or probably I think the single base thing that pops to mind, Ben, is just that focus and and, and focus on the one thing, focus on one thing, and not care that much about the bigger story. The bigger story will come. For us, as I said, like, we need to be laser focused on shipping this next version, right? All of the other things still make sense. They're still in my head, right? Like, we've already discussed it. Some of it's in Notion Docs. When I say some of the, these, these other things, like, that's the bigger strategy. Like, how do we play this out in terms of marketing and brand, et cetera? Like, all those things are still there. They're still important. But for now, like, there's just this one thing. And I think if we, if I had that clarity earlier about what this first version should be, for example, and focused exclusively on that, we would have moved faster as well. Yeah. And I would say that's more or less exactly the same. <laughs> I wish I'd had more clarity earlier. And I think looking back on the variation, various changes we've changed the product. Yeah. I've been thinking of it, right. We've kind of ended up in some ways where we first started. And a lot of that has been a lack of a feedback loop of not getting the product in front of customers, not having a landing page. Although, again, I think the, the single best thing we have done and what really gave us momentum was what you'd pushed me to do, bastard, of tweeting, right? And then you tweeted it and then you retweeted it, right? Like the demo of the product. And I think I'm trying to understand what's just like annoying hindsight that, quite frankly, if we were to do it again, it probably would have been the same way versus, okay, what can we learn from this and do better today and tomorrow? I guess that's the only important thing, right? Like we're not trying to change how we got there, got here, right? Like the point is we are here now and you just take what you can learn yeah. and you, you you apply it in a better way going forward. Yeah. And I think the next major challenge for me is going to be now that we have our marketing site, there's some messaging and even value propositions I want clarity on, I think, for as we evolve the product. So now it's me a matter of, okay, well, how do I get more people to give feedback on the thing that I've created, which in my mind right now is LinkedIn. And I'm open to other suggestions, but that's trying to come up with content that's engaging, which seems like such a general thing for me to say. But that's the playbook that I've seen, especially for B2B. Yeah, no, I, like, <laughs> I think all of those things are top of, top of mind for me too. And I uh, definitely lean towards the content side of things as well. So I would probably suggest like, let's kind of, you park that there. You get your app reviewed. I'll finish getting my app built. And then in the next call, let's jump into marketing stuff. Hell yeah. T- tweet the marketing page. I'll retweet that as well. Dude. God. Got it. All right, man. Can you outro us with your, with your theme music and you still remember it? Yep. You are listening to the 
Dog and Pony Show, The Idiot Ben, coming to you live from the internet. That was not the same that you did last time, but that's probably fine. We'll just... What did I do last time? Some kind of... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no. <laughs> you should listen to the previous episode and just do that again. I feel like one of those actors who watch their own uh, yeah. TV show. Exactly. Wait. Dun, dun, dun. Was it that one? Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Dog and Pony Show. Perfect. <laughs>